0: all right good morning everyone good morning. really uh, appreciated that word and um, it's amazing to me some of the same themes that our brothers brought out uh, from the gospel of John will be quite evident as we continue our study in the book of Joshua so yesterday we kicked off our study and we saw that uh, Joshua had a calling to obey uh, he would have to obey to prosper and He'd have to trust God to enjoy his presence. It sounds like what we just heard, isn't it? Um, boy, John 15, what a rich text. The Lord invites us to have this love relationship with him, to abide in his love. Just look at all the blessings in that chapter. Joy, fruitful prayer life. You get to know the Lord as an intimate friend. Um, you get to bask in the love of God. This rich passage, rich text. I'm going to be skipping over chapter 2. We're going to be dealing with that tonight, God willing, uh, talking about the harlot Rahab and her turn to uh, the truth and uh, her salvation. So we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 22. And um, so uh, the two spies, as they they go into Jericho, uh, the harlot, um, there was a harlot, named Rahab in Jericho that um, was seeking the truth and wanted to obey the truth. And so God brought more revelation to her through these spies. And we'll see tonight, uh, God willing, that because of her faith, um, her and she and her whole household would be saved. Well, she protects the spies, saves them, gives counsel, and she tells them, uh, don't go back to... Um, your encampment on the other side of the Jordan, go go west to the mountains and hide. There are caverns and caves and so forth west of Jericho and stay there three days and then go. And they'll be done looking for you by then. And that's exactly what the spies did. They heeded her counsel. and um, we pick up in 22, they departed and went to the mountains and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And listen to this, verse 24. Then, and and they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Um, we'll read the text tonight, but Uh, there was no lack of knowledge. The people in Jericho were quite familiar with the Israelites, of what God had done for the Israelites, how no one could stand against them, how they obliterated the Amorites. Uh, Instead of seeking mercy, they sought to resist God's will that they already knew and had been demonstrated. Rahab took a different course of action, and she received salvation. And so not only was God able to... save Rahab and her household in Jericho a a city that was under judgment he used the whole situation to encourage his people so when the spies come back with this report they say they are shaking in their sandals right God they they know all about us they know what uh, God has done for us and uh, this greatly encouraged the Lord's people so This is the awesome part of, one of the awesome parts of God's working is he can accomplish so many things at once. He can reach a lost sinner. He can encourage his people to go on with them all at the same time using the same events. And praise God that we have a God like that. So in chapter 3 and 4, which is what I hope to cover this morning, if you're taking notes, you might just jot down three signs. There's going to be three signs, a wonder and two memorials. In our our study this morning. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out of the Achaia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before them, before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests and Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may Know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Uh, Yesterday I had this table propped up there on the thing, which raised it about this much higher. And for those of you who are older and have bifocals, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is a little lower today, and it's not quite in focus in the text. So um, this is uh, encouraging uh, portion of scripture there are two rainy seasons um, in this area uh, there was a rainy season in the spring and the fall and often the Jordan flooded and so our story takes place in a situation in which the the Jordan is out of its banks and you've got God's people on the east side of the Jordan uh, they have basically conquered everyone that opposed them all the way up the Transjordan and they're they're just waiting there for God's timing for them to come into their inheritance. And so uh, the spies come back, there was, they moved the encampment right next to the Jordan, and in three days they're going to cross. They're to sanctify themselves, uh, for God will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Uh, God was going to do a great wonder, something that had never been seen before. And by doing so, he was going to exalt Joshua, the new leader, in the people's eyes. Uh, Keep in mind that Joshua is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name means Jehovah's salvation. It's the same as Jesus in the New Testament. And so he is going to exalt uh, Joshua. He's going to do a great wonder. He says, I'm going to exalt you in the sight of Israel. And he says, so I will be with you. A promise of intimacy a a promise of ongoing um power in this relationship that he would enjoy and uh when we're thinking of the lord jesus christ the the father loves doing wonders before his people that exalt the name of His son and that that should be normal christianity where we're we're seeing the lord do these wonderful things things that can't be explained naturally so that the name of his Son can be exalted. Um, I find it helpful in praying just to ask the Father, Father, honor your Son's name. Exalt your Son's name by doing it. Show this wonder that only you can do, that others might know you, and that the Lord Jesus would be exalted in their eyes as well. He says, you shall come to the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Perzites, Ger- Gerashites and Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, all the earth is crossing over before you unto the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand in a heap. So it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, that the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflowed all of its banks during the whole time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away to Adam, the city that is besides Zaretain, so that the waters that went down unto the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of uh, the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. <coughs> Excuse me, may the Lord bless his word. By the way, the uh, the Sabbath day's journey comes from this text. This was the rabbinical interpretation of the Sabbath day's journey, they had this distance of 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet between the priests uh, carrying the ark on their shoulders and the rest of the the people. So, three days preparation, sanctifying yourself, God's going to do a great wonder. Um, When you see the priests bearing up the ark, you get ready. And so as the priests walked towards the Jordan, they were supposed to keep this distance of 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet. And when the priest's foot touched the brink of the Jordan, um, the waters were abated. They piled up up at a city called Adam. Um, as near as we can tell, this is about 16 to 18 miles upstream. And the waters piled up there, causing all the water from, from Adam to the Dead Sea in the Jordan River to subside. So God's people could cross on dry land. Uh, This is a beautiful picture. Again, this is a wonder which God is doing, which is going to exalt the name of Joshua. It pictures the wonder that God did at the cross and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, uh, which would cause his own son's name to be exalted. Now, when God's people cross the Red Sea, um, God had through the Passover lamb he had redeemed his people in Egypt he had brought them out of bondage he had brought them out of Egypt a symbol of the world he wanted to have them for himself in the wilderness he was going to set a table for them and provide everything that they would need in the wilderness have them all to himself this this love relationship that we've been thinking about God wanted to experience that with his people by the way in first Corinthians 10 when Paul's talking about the Lord's table, not the Lord's Supper. That's chapter 11. He, he uses that. Uh, all the, the Israelites, they, they were under the same cloud. They came through the same sea. They were all baptized in the same sea. They all ate of the manna. They all drank from the rock. All, all, all. Community. Uh, the nation itself experienced all these things. But then they lusted after things that God didn't want for them. And as a result, God brought judgment upon them. And Paul says, these things are written for um, our learning. And so when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been seated at the greatest table there ever will be in the presence of Almighty God in heavenly places. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul speaks of the, the cup first. He takes something that they were familiar with uh, in the Lord's Supper, and he takes it he said, you've all been redeemed by this, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking of the cup of blessing. Then he speaks of the bread, but not as the body of Christ that was broken at the cross in judgment of sin, as it with the Lord's Supper. The body of Christ, or the bread, speaks of the, the, all the believers around the Lord Jesus in heaven. And that's why in that passage, you'll find the key words communion and partaking and fellowship. That's what what the Lord wants to share with us in his presence. And then he says this, How dare you? Why would you ever want to leave this great place of privilege, communion and partaking, fellowship, experiencing the love of God and step back in the world and eat at the table of demons? How that must break the heart of God. Part of our Savior. And so uh, these things are so much connected. Old Testament, New Testament, it seems like this common theme. Uh, we have this tendency to go our own way and step out of the goodness of God. As our brother said, don't be stupid, right? I have been stupid many times in, uh, in this thing. And the Lord is teaching it. He has an easy way and a hard way of teaching us. Uh, but he won't let us go. He loves us too much. Um, to let us go our own way. He will constantly bring, bring us back. He'll get us in a position, and I've been here several times in my life, He'll get us in a position which will we'll look up when we're at the very bottom and say, why did I ever go this route? This makes no sense at all. And He'll put us in a position where we wish we never had. And then we'll appreciate so much more uh, what the Lord has for us. So back to Joshua 3, um, another little picture here. I, I love this in that the, the waters piled up all the way to Adam and they were dried up all the way to the Dead Sea. Uh, the passing through the Red Sea uh, gave deliverance from their enemies. They've been redeemed from... Um, by the blood of the Lamb, and they had been brought out of Egypt. But that wasn't the full blessing God wanted for his people. He wanted them to pass through the Jordan, which speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and then experience resurrection life in Canaan. A life of conquering, a life of laying hold of your possessions, a life of entering God's rest. Um, through the cross we get peace with God. But you have to go on with the Lord to experience his peace, the peace of God. And so they had to, um, there was going to be a series of things that happened after they crossed the Jordan. So, where the Red Sea was a a narrow path and they they walked through orderly between walls of water. By the way, that happened at night. Can you imagine that? It's total darkness and you're walking through the sea with a wall of water on either side and you have the... um, the angel of the Lord in this cloud illuminating just the next step for the nation to follow as they go through the sea. Light to the Israelites, darkness to Pharaoh and his armies. Wow, that'd have to be a scary thing, but it was God's provision. He was the way, He was the light. It was the only way of escape. And they followed it in faith, and God took out the enemy. But at Jericho, um, God is going to lead them now into their possession. Uh, into resurrection life. And in a sense, as our brother was sharing, it pictures baptism in the church age. Uh, Water baptism is the first step that a believer should take after professing Christ as Savior. As soon as you understand what the Lord wants you to do, you just do it. Uh, That's the most important reason to be baptized. Yeah, we have this symbolic uh, picture of dying with Christ and being raised up with him, But the best reason to follow the Lord in believer's baptism is because he says to do so. Obedience is a pathway to blessing, as we heard in our previous message. So, um, water's piled up to Adam. The first man was Adam, and through Adam's sin, um, corruption, devastation entered the world. And so this is the effectiveness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It reaches all the way back to the first man, Adam, and it's effective all the way until the Dead Sea, until someone dies. We read in the book of Hebrews, it's appointed unto man once to die and then to judgment. Once you've died, you can't. there's no second chances. There's no such thing as purgatory. Uh, our eternal state is sealed at the point of death. But the the effectiveness, the power of the cross, and the power of Christ's resurrection goes all the way to Adam, the first man, and it has an effectiveness until death for every man and woman. And so it's just a little picture there that's shown to us, I think, in the book of Joshua. It's a wide path. The, The Israelites could cross the Jordan very quickly. There was a wide area. The Red Sea was a narrow path. So that was the wonder that God did. How incredible that must have been to see. Here is a river in flood stage. If, if you enter into it, for most people it would have been death. Somehow the spies got across it. We don't, we're not told how. But for most people, trying to cross it would have brought death. And yet God turns around through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ... He brings his people through what would have caused death now into life. And it's just a beautiful picture. Chapter 4, And it came to pass when the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan for the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan. Each one of you shall take a stone on the shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. This may be a sign to you. So we have three signs in our study this morning. The first was a wonder, which God did in causing the the flow of the Jordan to be cut off so his people could cross. Pictures of death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And now we have a second sign. It's a memorial among you. Your children ask the time to come, say, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to a place where they lodged and laid them down there. We'll pause our reading there. We read in verse 20 that this was Gilgal. So Joshua says, I want you to pick uh, a man from each tribe, and I want you to go down where the priests uh, are, are holding the Ark of the Covenant in the midst of the Jordan on the dry ground, and pick up a stone there, put it on your shoulder, and then we're going to carry that into the place that we reside then we're going to put those stones in a pile, and that's going to be a memorial pillar for generations to come. They weren't told how big the stones had to be, but uh, they obeyed, and each stone, from representing a representative of each tribe took a stone, and they put this pillar, this sign, at Gilgal, maybe one or one and a half miles from where they crossed, possibly two. Well, what does this sign represent? Obviously, it was to be observed, right, for generations to come. And so when children say, Dad, what's that pile of rocks there? I said, Well, that is for us to remember how God stopped the Jordan so we could cross over, not experience death, but experience life. And so this particular pile of stones was to remember the life of Christ. It, it represents resurrection life. For 40 years, God's people have been on the other side of the Jordan. And through lusting and disobedience, they had experienced a lot of heartache and sorrow. And sadly, there's a lot of believers in the church age that have experienced redemption through the blood of the Lamb. But they haven't came into Cana uh, in resurrection life laying hold of their spiritual possessions in heavenly places and experiencing God to a higher degree. But this is what God invites us to do. I love what our brother was sharing out of John uh, 14. Uh, 21. That's one of the most important verses in John, I think. He says, uh, verse 15, You love me, you obey my commandments. Obedience is is a practical way to show God that you're in love with him. It's a practical way to show that you love your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord says, if you obey my commandments, you get to experience the love of my Father. He says, and I will love you. And as our brothers share, I will manifest myself to you. And so in the Christian experience, we're, we're drawn into God's word to understand the mind of God. To be drawn into this love relationship. We want to know what uh, the lover of our souls thinks, what he wants. And as we understand that, we say, I, I just want to yield to that. I just want to do it because I love you. And the Lord says, That pleases me. Let me show you some more of myself. And and we see that, and we say, Oh, thank you. I just want to, I just want that. And And the Lord says, well, let me show you some more myself. And see, this is the Christian experience that we're we're all to have, is this being drawn into the secret place of God under his wing, into the the presence of eternal bliss and love and mercy. And that's where he wants us to reside. That's his table. Uh, Everything that we need is in his table. As we were thinking last night with the young people, Uh, when you forsake from that first message of jeremiah to judah in chapter one if you forsake the lord in affection in satisfaction you forsake his word and you forsake his reverence Uh, what jeremiah teaches us is that when you start forsaking before long you forget and that is a terrible place to be for the believer we don't want to stay in the eastern plateau in the transjordan area we want to experience the resurrection life of Christ. And um, we're going to see that there were some steps in this process, and that it really the same steps for us. Now, in verse 9, we read of a third sign or another memorial. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. And so nobody else is involved with this, just Joshua. And so he goes down in the Jordan where the priests were there holding the ark so as the people crossed, and, and he arranges a pile of 12 stones. The other stones were picked up by a representative of each tribe out of the nation. In other words, everybody was to experience that and to remember it. But only Joshua was involved with this other pillar, this other remembrance sign that would be in the midst of the Jordan. And that's because only the Lord Jesus Christ could bring about the death and burial and resurrection that would bring us forgiveness with God, restoration with God, reconciliation with God, and also bring us the life that God wants to share with us. Only Christ can do that. Now, when everybody crossed... And the priests come out of the the Jordan, we read the next few verses, then the waters came and and completely returned to flood stage. Well, what happened to that pillar of rocks that Joshua had in the, that he erected in the midst of the the Jordan? Well, they covered over, can't see them. Are they still there? Yeah, but we can't see them. It was our privilege Sunday evening to remember the Lord in breaking bread, the Lord's Supper. And basically what we're doing is each true believer is coming up to the brink of the Jordan. And we gaze down in that murky water. We can't see those 12 stones, but we remember the death of our Savior. And so the the pile of stones erected at Gilgal by representatives of each tribe was to reflect the life of the Lord Jesus. And we were to remember that. And that's to be reflected in his people. But the stones in the midst of the Jordan, that was to remember the death of the Lord Jesus. How God brought it all about. And so both things are important. Uh, The... Resurrection, when we're thinking of the gospel message, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, according to scriptures, the gospel message is tied to the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. At the cross, God took judgment for our sin. The Lord Jesus took the judgment for our sin. But that's not the whole gospel message. If that was a whole gospel message, we would just be forgiven dead people. Right? We'd have no life. We would just be forgiven dead people because as a result of the inherited sin that we have and we prove it by nature, all of us are spiritually dead when we come to this world. We have four kids. They were beautiful little children, but they were all just beautiful little sinners when they came in the world. Headed to the Lake of Fire. Like all that came from Adam. Adam. When we trust Christ, we get forgiveness of sin. But that's not the whole story. God wants to share his life with us. He wants us to experience him, be one with him, in communion with him. And so it was necessary for them to cross over the Jordan and to come into Cana. He wanted them to seize their spiritual blessings. Their uh, blessings in uh, Cana, for us, it's the spiritual blessings. uh, I mentioned this yesterday about the 144,000 from the two and a half tribes are going to be the strike force that moves in first. That's in verses 12 through 13. Verse 14, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry ground, that the water of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And they took the twelve stones with they had took out of the Jordan. Joshua set them up at Jericho. Um, I love how Scripture records specific days, years, and months for our appreciation. Think about this. God brings them out of Egypt on the Passover. Right, the 14th day of the first month. He brings them down to Sinai. He reveals his law to them. They're there about a year. He he wants them now to go up and take their land. And we know what happened at Kadesh Barnea, right? The twelve spies go in, um, they come back, they bring the report. Yes, God kept his word. The land is it's a beautiful land. It's full of milk and honey. But There's giants in the land. There's fortifications, and we're going to be like grasshoppers before them. Remember, Caleb and Joshua said, let's go get it. Our God is able. See, they were experiencing their God. They knew his capability. And so, yeah, giants are nothing when we have an almighty God who creates all things. But the ten spies turned the people away from the Lord. And as a result, God pronounced a judgment, and everyone 20 years old and older, their carcasses fell in the wilderness for the next 39 years. Forty is a number of probationary testing in Scripture. We see it over and over again. And so God was working with his people. Forty years probationary testing. Would they follow him? At the end of 40 years, on the 10th day of the first month, so this is 40 years minus three days, They come across the Jordan. They come to Gilgal. Gilgal means roll away. And God says, I am starting new with you today. Gilgal means uh, reproach. A rolled away of reproach. Uh, Literally means rolled away. But God was rolling away their their reproach, their past failures, their guilt. And he was starting with them anew. Boy, I appreciate God's long-suffering nature. He is slow to anger, quick to forgive. He wants us to go on with him and experience him and have victory in him. And he's patient. He's been really patient with me. And he'll get you there. And sometimes uh, there may be times of drought and, and we're out of the blessing and we're not experiencing God as we should. He's right there trying to draw us back in. And we might go through these times of probationary testing. But this was a great day for Israel. Forty years was up. Why did God bring him in on the tenth day? Well, you might recall that the Passover lambs had to be tested for four days to show that they were acceptable and that they were the perfect sacrifice, that they were unblemished, um, not sick. And so he brings them out on the 10th day of the month so that on the 14th day of the month they can uh, sacrifice their Passover lambs and keep the Passover. They haven't kept the Passover for 38 years. The other thing is, they, the males couldn't keep the Passover unless they'd been circumcised. Circumcision, as Paul tells us in the New Testament, is this idea of having no confidence in the flesh. That's why God instituted it with Abraham in chapter uh, 17. He would had confidence in his flesh in chapter 16. He takes uh, Hagar, the concubine, uh, to have seed, uh, raise up children to Sarah. That wasn't God's plan. That was a plan of the flesh. God didn't speak to Abraham for 13 years, the number of rebellion in Scripture. Then he comes to him in chapter 17 and reminds him of his covenant 13 times. God is a great counter. <laughs> do, do you have these... Levels of revelation of scripture with colors and symbols and and the meanings of words and names. It's just incredible to me. And God weaves it all together that we can appreciate the expression of his spirit in the word. So, um, they had to be circumcised. No confidence in the flesh. Well, that's a step of faith. If you got your entire... Uh, fighting force, all your soldiers been circumcised, they're out of action for a few days. So that was showing their confidence in God. No confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is God. And they were proving it. They went through circumcision. Testing the lambs. So God brings them in on the 10th day of the first month. So 40 40 years probationary period of testing, complete. Four days to test the lambs, per the word. The men could be circumcised so that for the first time in 38 years, they could keep the Passover again and remember how God redeemed them. God was rolling it all away, starting all new with them. And after they consecrate themselves, now they're ready for warfare. Um, I th- may have shared this story two years ago when I was here. But when I was going in and out of China, uh, this is like some 20 to 15 years ago now, we, um, w- there was a woman named Yahui who clearly was demonically possessed. it uh, came over her, all of a sudden we were, um, we just had lunch, and I was talking to her through a translator, and all of a sudden she, she just started weaving back and forth, hyperventilating, chanting, Do you ever? she was gone. And so um, we picked her up, took her in the bedroom, started praying over her and singing over her. She just thrashed around for hours. And It was about 4.30 in the afternoon when she came back and she could hear things and repeat things. And by about 5, she was perfectly normal. And uh, the long story short, this went on for several days. And after, um, I think it went on for 10 or 14 days, but they had... Um, a bunch of believers that got together had an 18-hour prayer meeting over this woman. And at the end of that, she professed Christ as Savior, was baptized, never had another problem. This happened every day in the afternoon for, for those 10 or 14 days. The reason I'm telling you this story is something my translator, Liam Boat, said to me. When we were walking into that room, and this was serious warfare, he turned to me, he pointed his finger at me, he says, no sin, no sin. And what he was saying is, don't come into this room if you're not right with the Lord. Don't come in this room if you have secret sins in your life. Beloved, we have no power in this world without the Lord, zero. As I said yesterday, and Scott said too, every victory is the Lord's victory. We walk with him. Without him, we can do nothing. That's what he told his disciples. Without me, you can do nothing. John 15. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we have to be in right relationship with him. And obedience is the key. We, we see the Lord, what he wants, and we just yield to it. And that's what Israel is doing here. 40 years of misery because they didn't do it before. But now they're yielding to the Lord. They're consecrating themselves. I want to beg you if you have secret sins in your life, make today the day of mortification. You cannot waste another day on this earth not walking with the Lord, not having his blessing and his joy. It's not the resurrection life he wants for us. This is an exciting uh, portion of scripture for the day of Israel. They finally got right with the Lord, and it's a new beginning. And now we're going to see them going forth, and they're in conquest. They're victorious, and they're laying hold of their blessings, their possessions that God has for them. And it's the same in the New Testament. This is the way we lay hold of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We practically experience God in day-to-day activity as he leads and walks along with us. And that's the higher experience that God wants for all of us. Father, we just want to thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for being patient with me. Father, we want to be a a fighting force that is unbeatable. A, A fighting force that sees no retreat a fighting force that, that has the right vision of who you are, knowing that your love will never fade, you will never forsake us, you will never leave us. It's we who let the clouds come between. And so, Father, I pray that we keep short accounts with you. I pray, Father, that if there are some here that are not in fellowship with you it, Right now, Father, that they deal with it and they would confess it and not just confess it as wrong, but confess it as, Lord, I never want to do this again, that they might have you. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.